Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. Keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight, we've got my panel, Daniel Moylan, who's a former advisor to Boris Johnson and is a Conservative life peer in the House of Lords, and the political commentator and former spin doctor, Joe Phillips. A short story for you, Joe. Um, yes. Good evening, both of you. Good evening. Uh, I always remember the first time you joined my show, <laughs> and we were discussing a medical story, and I remember someone saying to me, oh, it's OK, because on the panel we've got a doctor and I said, oh, I didn't think we had. And they said, yes, we've got a spine doctor. And that was me. I know, I know. It's spine. so sweet. Uh, many people say that. What is a spin doctor? Tell me briefly, what's a spin well, doctor? Um, somebody, I worked for Paddy Ashton many, many, many years ago. So I was his press secretary um, and head of his Westminster office. And um, it's really explaining to or trying to get the media to understand. I mean, bearing in mind in those days, it was very hard, still is actually, to get any coverage for the Liberal Democrats because you're always squeezed out by the bigger two parties, the Conservatives and Labour. But it's actually sort of trying to, you know, chivvy up interest, to try and explain things, to talk about it. I mean, the big question always in those days was, you know, are you going to deal, do a deal with Labour or the Tories? Um, and Paddy was always at great pains to say, no, we're equidistant, we're absolutely equidistant from everybody. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing, although I think spin doctory has taken on a... Slight mm. element of the dark arts, wouldn't you say, Daniel? Well... Well, since your day, Joe. Yes, exactly. I, I think was it's very... gone downhill. Yes, I think so. That. That's think probably so. the case. Well, you tell me at home, because uh, if you are a regular viewer, you'll know the drill by now. It's not just about us three. Uh, it's about you at home as well. I want you to get in touch with me tonight and tell me all your thoughts. What do you think about spin doctors, by the way? Uh, good idea. Do we need such a thing in politics still? Did we ever need them? No offence, Joe. Uh, you tell me your thoughts on that and also the stories that we will be discussing tonight. Did you watch uh, that leadership debate last night? I thought it was like a bad episode of The Apprentice. That's what I said at the start. Lots of you getting in touch already on, on that. John uh, says the Tories are absolutely crazy having this absurd leadership contest in public. The only winners here are the enemies. It should have been conducted in a dignified manner behind closed doors and then the winner announced to the general public. Well, that is John's thoughts. You can tell me yours at gbviews at gbnews.uk is the email. You can tweet me as well if that's your kind of thing, gbnews or at Michelle Jubes. Uh, the stories tonight, as I mentioned, will be talking politics. Uh, what do you reckon to all of these leadership debates uh, in public, the right idea or not? We'll be looking at Labour what are they doing in the meantime that the Tories are tearing a strip off themselves? I also want to talk to you about, uh, are you old enough to remember the goings-on with the poll tax? Um, you know, were you one of those people that took to the streets? Did you refuse to pay your bill? There's calls now for people to cancel their direct debit in October once the energy prices go up again. Is that a good idea or not? Would you even be uh, taking part in such a protest? Um, and also as well, I want to talk to you about national service. Many people say it's time that we had a return to it. Is it? That's the stuff I'll be getting into tonight. And a bit more as well if I've got time for it at the end. Uh, but let's get into politics, shall we? Did you watch it last night? The battle between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. 
Um, I don't actually think it's going well. I think it's reflecting uh, quite poorly on the Tories, actually, because, uh, lest they forget, that they actually need to win the election. And all of this kind of toing and froing and criticising, you know, if they think that that's not going to be thrown back in their face, uh, come the next election, you know, they're onto a, a fool's errand with that. The former Tory minister, Lord Fowler, has warned that the Tories risk being called the nasty party again. Uh, Sunak last night was in trouble for repeatedly interrupting uh, Liz Truss, many of you already, emailing exactly that same thing, which is, you didn't think he let, he let uh, Liz Truss get a word in edgeways. Let's have a look at that. Under my plans, we would start paying down the debt in three years' time. So I'm not putting it on the never-never. I would start paying it down but, but in Liz, three that, years. Liz, that's uh, simply not right. You promised me, almost £40 me, you, billion you, pounds of unfunded tax cuts, but, £40 billion pounds more borrowing. That is the, company, the country's credit card. It's our children and grandchildren. Everyone here is that kids. Is, that so we're going to have true. to pick up the tab for that. Excuse me! Excuse me! Excuse me! That is the strategy that I'm going to start adopting because often on Jubes and Co people interrupt us and interrupt each other all the time. I'm going to start Liz trussing them. That's no, what I'm going to do, I think Daniel. You need to do, Michelle. You need to be a strong woman. You tell me because I think uh, your <clears throat> party, Daniel, are being incredibly foolish at the moment, um, taking part in all of these kind of televised arguments. I don't know what they're trying to achieve. You can reach the leadership, uh, sorry, the, the membership base with a variety of hostings. You could do separate conversations. I don't see how your party's going to fare well off some of these. Well, I think what you've got to start with is that British democracy is a pretty rough um, and aggressive sort of thing, and all the better for that. And any idea that all of this should be done elegantly behind closed doors, I think, is anti-democratic and anti-our tradition. I do agree with you that the Conservative Party has launched itself on a precarious course. Getting rid of Boris and the way in which he was got rid of is, was not a good look. Um, and then you go into an election and people shout at each other a bit too much. And, and I agree that, you know, it doesn't all look great. But there's something very important going on here that people haven't really picked up on. For the first time in 20 years, we've got leading political conservative, leading conservative politicians actually having a serious argument about the economic policy that this country should follow. We haven't had that because there are real fundamental differences between Sunak and Truss on where the economy should be going. So if you can listen through all the rubbish about earrings and loafers and shoes and, and actually listen to what they're arguing about, and I think a lot of people are listening to it, there's a real important, really important debate going on. And the direction our country takes is going to be affected by who wins that. But I'm supporting this, trust. I find this really peculiar. I'll bring Joe in in a sec because when I listen to some of the conversations that have been had in these debates, when I listen to you, when you say, oh, yeah, you know, this is really interesting economic conversation being had, the Tories have been in power pretty much for what, 12 years now? Yeah. And when I hear people saying, oh, yeah, we're having the conversations that we should be having, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, it's almost like people are acting like there's this brand new clean slate. What have you all been doing for 12 years? Well, the economic situation has changed dramatically over the last year and how we react to it is going to... The solutions that we had and that we... Uh, indeed, many of which we shared with Labour, new, with Gordon Brown and Tony, Tony Blair, um, th those solutions, uh, in my view, um, aren't fit for purpose anymore and we need different types of solutions. Rishi Sunak doesn't agree with that. That's a fair point of view. And the fact that that should be debated now in these changed circumstances of war in Ukraine uh, galloping inflation, high prices for inputs to the economy and for important things like food and fuel, 
and so on. The fact that we're having a discussion about that, and post-COVID, which nobody had predicted, and the effect that had on the economy and on government finances, it's not surprising that you might want to think about having a different economic approach. Where do you stand on all, Joe? Well, I have to say, I just find the whole spectacle completely unedifying. I mean, I slightly agree with you, Michelle, because I sort of think, you know... Steady oh, on, careful. I know, it's dangerous know territory, it's, this, yeah, isn't it? You'll, you'll the sack dark me. Side, the dark um, but, you know, if only... Uh, or rather, only Conservative members can vote on this. So why is it being broadcast on umpteen television channels, um, you know, into everybody's home? I mean, I know you don't have to watch. I think the standard of debate is appalling. I think um, Daniel is right into saying we do need to have a, a conversation about the economy of the country, given what's happened that is out of our control and other things that are within our control. But as you say, these two have been sitting around the cabinet table for a long, long time. Um, the Tories have been in power for 12 years. It feels like they're trying to rewrite history. And in the debate in last way? night... In what way? Well, it feels like they're... As I mean, Michelle they've been said, having these arguments around the cabinet table to some extent over the last couple of years. Now they've burst out into the open. Isn't that a good thing that people can hear um, what's going on. But you and, and, and of course, the broadcasters don't have to broadcast these shows. No, They're the ones who want to do it. So nobody's forcing the broadcasters no. to run these debates. And, and why shouldn't people see what the choices are between because the we, person because who's we, going to be the next prime Because minister? we don't have, those of us who are not members of the Conservative Party, don't actually have a yeah, choice. But, but it's still, even if you don't have a vote, you'd still want to see and you'd still want to have a, a view of what's going on. And, of course, ultimately, it's the MPs. It's the, the, the person who's prime minister under our constitution is the person who commands the confidence of the commons. And it's ultimately, it's the MPs. Boris was elected by the members to be um, prime minister, um, uh, but he lost the confidence of the, of the House of Commons, and he's no longer there. So, or won't be shortly. So, you know, it's ultimately the MPs who decide. And this is a hugely important debate people are having. I, I agree it's scrappy. I agree there are times when it sounds like they're defying. It's Well, I think that's a bit um, excessive. Uh, that's, that's what British politics sounds like. You go to Prime Minister's questions, it sounds puerile. But, but nonetheless, there is a serious debate this time going on, which we never had before. We never, when Boris stood against uh, Jeremy Hunt, there was no serious but you, debate but about, you, about policy going But, Daniel, on. I don't disagree with you about having a serious debate. It's really interesting, but I actually, think, that they're having you know, this if debate. You, if you have them... Fine, but then it needs to be done in a much more um, well-mannered way. Well, you think this is... Because you think British politics is like... No, I don't. It I... should be like a, a university seminar No, 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 I don't but think that. that. For goodness like. sake, I've been around Westminster and politics, you know, for as long as you have, and I know perfectly well the bear pit. But if you are trying to get your message across, it is the job of the uh, moderator, if you like. I mean, you know, that little clip that we saw just then, anybody... And any man, as I'm sure you feel this, Michelle, quite often, when men interrupt and talk over women, you've automatically lost the support of virtually every woman watching. I would never interrupt and talk over you, Jeff. I know. Are you, are you listening? Yes. You see, he <laughs> waited until I finished. <laughs> see, there was this big sense, actually, that Rishi was kind of getting a bit he was, frantic. He was getting frantic, wasn't he? Do you reckon? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the whole thing about, you know, they spent five minutes last night talking about earrings and loafers. Yeah. You know, that's Dreadful. not important. But that's the stupidity of the press. Well, actually, there... it's the stupidity of Nadine Dorries, actually. Well, yeah, she did. She, she was that out, 
fueling that sort of thing. But then I just thought it was really weird the way that the um, orchestrators of the debate wanted to focus in on such trivial details. But I want to ask you at home, by the way, how important do you think this is um, in terms of who is going to lead the Tories next? Because let's be honest, you know, apparently there's going to be a general election in, what, less than two years? Do you know how many months it is, to be precise? Well, uh, the last date would be December in 2024, wouldn't it? So what's, where, what's that? Let's just round it up. Let's just say 24? two years. 24? Let's just say about two years' time. Uh, do you think that... Oh, I've started a math challenge now. Um, <laughs> do you think that this uh, leader actually has a mandate to govern, by the way? You know, what do you think? There's been this campaign uh, to get Boris added to the ballot paper. It's got about oh, 10,000... Is that about 10,000 uh, signatures to that? Joe says, oh, for goodness sake. What do you think to that? Boris being on the ballot paper, nonsensical or what? what? I don't think Boris can be on the ballot paper now in that way. I do think, if I just give me one second on this, I do think that the Conservative MPs have made a mistake in thinking that Boris is the sort of political figure who just vanishes like Mrs May vanishes. You know, we don't see her again except sitting there with her arms crossed. Um, or even John Major or someone like that. Boris is a huge political figure. And even Boris untethered, you know, just wandering around, is, is going to be a pole of attraction away or from the Conservative... Or distraction. Away from the Conservative Party and the government, even if he's not trying to be, for quite some years There's to come. There's a wonderful article in The Times today written by William Hague, which says, you know, prepare for the, the enormous sulk. Because uh, Boris Johnson... But even was... if Boris did nothing, he'd be he'd still be yes, out but, there as this But you're force. always going to He has this latent political power. You've got this divisive power. thing. And actually... If he had any credibility and any dignity, which he clearly doesn't... No, he has great credibility and dignity, and I stuck with him well, right to I the end. Did, but, but I don't think you need to make gratuitous well, comments I, like that to make your point. But right. I think he would actually say to the 10,000 people who have signed a petition, I've gone, that decision's been made, we need a united party. So that would be a dignified response. But I well, I, don't, I think he has said today that he doesn't support this. I think that decision is going to cost the Tories. Um, I'm fascinated. I mean, a lot can happen, let's be clear, right? A lot can happen in two years or whatever it was we've just been two calculating. Years is a lifetime. Yeah, it is in politics. So a lot can happen. But I, uh, if there was an election tomorrow, a general election tomorrow, I think that the Tories would be deeply impacted by the decision to oust Boris Johnson. Uh, it's almost like a coup, I regarded it. And I think that would impact the Tories. Uh, we've just been saying that about having a debate about the economies, uh, the economy, should I say, one. Keir Starmer had a lot to say on this uh, yesterday. Should we take a look at his vision? Whether it's the cost of living crisis, as Rachel has said, or recovering from the pandemic, our economy is weaker than our competitors, less resilient, brittle, and ultimately, we're all poorer for it. That's why I'm clear. Labour will fight the next election on economic growth. There is no task more central to my ambitions for Britain than making the country and its people better off. Have you noticed, by the way, that everyone seems to stand now in front of the flags? Was that always the case, was it? Was I not paying attention enough? But to me, uh, I found that quite interesting. Their five points, their five principles, Labour's uh, five principles, are the following. We will be financially responsible. We will be distinctly British. 
Um, we, we, that makes me laugh. What does that even mean? Uh, we'll work in partnership with business, re-energise communities and spread economic power, refocus investment on boosting productivity. Winning formula? Mm, that is spin, you see. That means most of that is pretty meaningless because it's a bit like motherhood and apple pie. Everybody wants to do better. Everybody wants to make stable economies. Everybody wants to do better for the British economy. I think the Labour Party, to be fair, have been in a slightly difficult position as for the reasons that um, uh, Daniel mentioned earlier. You know, the COVID pandemic basically knocked out every conversation for two years. Um, and, you know, other things have taken them. They need to put more flesh on the bones. They're beginning to put their policies together. Um, you know, and it is always said that opposition parties, you know, they, they can win elections by default. It is for, you know, governments to lose elections. They're not going to win an election on that sort of um, waffle, frankly. They need to put some bones on it, some meat on it. He said he doesn't want to go down the route of renationalisation. The TUC are very keen on that. Um, and that's a major policy shift. It by is the way. a major. 2017, absolutely, 2019, absolutely. That was but as, but you know, as Rachel Reeve said earlier today or yesterday, um, you know, that was a, a policy from Jeremy Corbyn that saw them get the worst results since 1935. They've had to reinvent themselves after Jeremy Corbyn. Um, but I think Keir Starmer's problem is he's too cautious. He needs to be bolder, and he needs to say. What does this mean? In the same way that every time somebody says, oh, we need more for this, whether it's police, NHS or whatever, the government response is always, we've spent X billion pounds. That doesn't mean anything to most people. What you need to say is, we've spent this much money, that has meant this many extra nurses or police officers or whatever. Translate it into human language. Go hard or go home. That is my human language. That's what Keir Starmer should be doing, putting himself out there. Daniel, very briefly. Well, Joe has some very wise comments, but I just like, since it's brief, I'll just like to disagree with Keir Starmer in saying that our economy is performing worse and we are less resilient than our competitors. Germany is preparing to close down factories for the winter and ration hot water. Italy has lost its government and is practically broke. I mean, we are much more resilient than most of our competitors, and we're doing relatively well. And that's completely false, that's false spin uh, that he just puts out there to give background to his case. It's not true. Distinctly British. I'm still and trying to ponder what British. that even means. It's got flags there, so it definitely means something. Uh, Simon says, Michelle, I'm a Tory party member and think this leadership contest is an embarrassment and fantastic ammunition for Labour. Simply cannot believe that my party is being so stupid. Um, Derek says, I sometimes wonder if our politicians actually understand anything about our country and its people at all, because to me, uh, he feels that they don't seem to care. Graham says, the public didn't elect, uh, don't elect the leader of a party and they have no vote, so there is absolutely no reason for a televised debate at all. Leslie says, who cares who wins? I voted for Boris and my vote has now been trashed by the party that I always used to vote for. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes & Co with me, Michelle Jubry. My panel, Daniel Moylan, who's a former advisor to Boris Johnson and is now a Tory life peer in the House of Lords and also the political commentator and former spin doctor, Joe Phillips. Good evening to both of you and also, evening. of course, to all of you at home. Uh, lots of you getting in touch about that uh, debate. 
It's, I've got to say, you're pretty split down the middle. Um, I would say about half of you are saying it's absolutely right that this conversation is being had on television so you can put it up to scrutiny. Uh, the other part of you is saying it's absolutely ridiculous and is going to serve only the opposition in the end. Uh, let me know if you have strong views on that one either way, but for now, let's move on and talk to you about I'd your like bills. To, I'd like to know whether anybody's had their mind changed from watching one of the debates. Oh, there you go. Um, Joe's got a question Just for a, you. you know. Uh, are you a Tory member? Or you, you know what, you can get involved in this even if you're not. Have you sat there and thought to yourself, right, the one that I'm going to put my money on is Liz or vice versa, Rishi? And then you watched last night and you thought to yourself, no, I've switched my mind. Joe's asking, are any of you out there that switch? You tell me, gbviews at gbnews.uk. Um, I'll be interested to see the answer mm. to that as well myself. Because I just think ultimately, you know what, the, the, the main thing for me is the cost of living. You know, you've got one person that says, I'm not going to cut your taxes, I'm not going to do anything right now. You've got another person that basically says, I'm going to, you know, shower like confetti, all of this kind of cash-saving yeah. incentives to you. And they've been in government for 12 years and they've sat around the cabinet table. Indeed. And this is um, one of the key issues I that I know you all, that I know you're all struggling with at the moment, uh, which is how you're going to pay your bills. Uh, times are getting really tight for a lot of us at the moment, aren't they? Uh, soaring gas and electricity prices... Uh, and now the charity National Energy Action say, get this, more than 8 million households could be in fuel poverty in October. Now, I'm not old enough really to remember all this, but uh, back in the 90s there was lots of protests about what became the poll tax, people uh, refusing en masse to pay about 17 million people said that they're not going to pay uh, that tax and they were quite effective in it. And now... There's a campaign that's been set up called Dirt Pay UK. What they want is a million people to come together and en masse cancel a direct debit if the energy price cap is increased on October the 1st, which, let's face it, is pretty much looking likely. Uh, Money-saving expert Martin Lewis as well, he's warned that there could be what he calls uh, civil disobedience, uh, perhaps in this form of uh, mass non-payment if these bills keep rising. And, I mean, I use the word if quite loosely because, let's face it, they're estimated now to pass the £3,000 a year mark. Um, I'll start with you on this one, actually, Joe. Do you think it's ever acceptable just to say, no, thanks, I'm not going to pay? Well, um, there are many questions here. I am old enough to remember the poll tax and the campaign against it. But that is a slightly different thing. That was a political um, policy brought in by the Thatcher government and then there was a huge protest, as you know, it was brought in in Scotland uh, first off as a sort of a trial and then the can't pay, won't pay, which I think was, you know, was one of the um, notches that began to weaken the Thatcher government. That's a different thing. This thing, the, um, the don't pay campaign, who are they? Um, on their website, it doesn't give you any indication of who they are and I think that's fine. Direct debits. Not everybody pays by direct debits. Lots of people have to have prepayment meters. Um, it sounds a little bit middle class. Of course, people are going to be pushed into terrible poverty. And, you know, if we have as bad a winter as we've had a hotter summer, there are lots of people who are going to suffer. I think there are cases when you don't pay your bills. Um, and in fact, where I live in the southeast, um, southern water have been pumping sewage into the sea and lots and lots of people have said we're not paying our water bills. But the people who are going to be most frightened about having their gas or electricity 
cut off are probably going to be older people or people with young children and they will be too frightened to do this. Who are these people who are um, saying don't pay your bill? How are they going to support and help people if they are cut off? Yeah, I mean, there's a very, I think the sentiment here, and I'm not condoning this, by the way, I'm not encouraging people to not pay their bills, just want to put that out there for the record. I'm just exploring this methodology of collective action. Because, Daniel, there are a lot of people that are genuinely afraid right now. Times are getting, well, for many people, they're not getting, they've already gotten incredibly tough. Um, one in five has an average weekly shortfall of £60 between what they earn and their outgoings, one in five. And I think a lot of people are very worried. So when you hear this kind of sentiment of, oh, you know, is there this opportunity for me just to not pay, quite frankly, I think it might be appealing for a lot of people. Yeah, well, I don't support this campaign and it isn't really an opportunity not to pay because if you cancel your direct debit, you still owe the money and you just end up being issued with... Um, uh, writs eventually and summonses and you get a affects your credit rating and and so on so I wouldn't encourage anybody to do this um, especially those who are um, poor and vulnerable um, the, 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 I go back I go back beyond the poll tax I'm much older than Joe I'm sure um, I remember when I was quite young when um, in the early 70s when the price of petrol went up threefold very very quickly because of the oil shocks uh, and the wars in the Middle East, the Israel-Arab wars. And the fact is, when you get wars and interventions like that that affect the supplies of crucial um, inputs to the economy like fuel, we are poorer as a result. And pretending not to pay, saying, I'm not going to pay my bill unless you keep the bills down, is sort of running away from reality. We are poorer. Now, that means we are going to have to pay a lot more for our energy in the future, in my view, for quite a long time to come. And the question is not, can the government make that not happen? Uh, the question is, should, what can the government do to help the poorest and most vulnerable about this? And, of course, they have done. Rishi Sunak has done some things. It might be that it has to be more. But I think people have to get used to the fact that, you know, as a result of what Russia is doing, energy is going to cost a lot more. And that will have not only household effects, but big knock-on effects through businesses and into the prices of other things as well. And we've got to be quite realistic about this and not run away from it. We have to understand the consequences. But there are some people who literally will not be able I to... No, no, I understand that. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't say otherwise. No, 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 I, no, I know. But, but, but there are some people who literally will not be able to pay, and there has to be some means of helping them, and the government has done something towards that in a rough-and-ready way already. But um, the general idea that if you just don't pay, the price won't go up, I think that's completely misleading. It's a, it's a form of denial of reality. I think, I think it's... Um, well, I, I just want to know more about who these people are. And I are. want to know more yeah. about them And well, whether I they're going to support people who end up with county court judgments yeah, or credit exactly. ratings and things like that, because, you know, it, it can be, as, as Daniel said, rather damaging. I mean, I think there are a whole load of other issues here. You know, this, um, the, the person who was on in the news clip or, or the clip that you played earlier, you know, talking about home insulation. There's a lot of stuff that can be done to make places more energy efficient. We're already seeing um, across Europe uh, the, how they're going to cut the use um, of fuel in preparation for the winter. So daft things like, you know, air conditioning on the doors of shops wide open, letting all that energy out, turning the heating down in offices and buildings like that. There's a lot of stuff that can 
be done. But, you know, the reality is for somebody who is old, frail, ill, or has got small children, who's on a fixed price meter or, or prepaid meter, um, and is trying to keep warm, dry, and healthy, it's going to be really, really tough in the winter. And I don't know quite, I mean, I know Daniel just said Rishi Sunak has done some things to help, but I mean, the, the uh, I can't remember what it was called, but the last home, green homes grant or whatever, it folded after less than a year. You know, they, all these things come up. They're never given enough chance to succeed. They're not promoted properly. They're not done in a joined up way with local government. I mean, I've been waiting for over a year for my county council, which does this sort of collective solar panel thing, to get back to me, because I would like to have solar panels on my house. Mm. Would you like to have solar power panels on your house? Is that a luxury that you reckon you'd be able to afford? Kevin says, all these folk are suggesting that they're going to refuse to pay their bills. I hope they're going to hand back any government handouts that they've received towards their bills, if they do indeed do that. Derek says, well, I know a bill that everyone should cut. Uh, that is the BBC TV licence fee. <laughs> um, Jim says, one thing that never seems to be getting mentioned, Michelle, are the standing charges. I've got to say, I agree with you uh, on that one, Jim. I do think it's a very peculiar uh, cancellation, uh, sorry, calculation that they seem to apply there. Um, Wilka says, go on then, go and cancel your direct debit and see how it feels to sit in the dark with no heating. Uh, Nigel says, if you don't have the money, you can't pay. It's not simply an option of you mm. won't pay. If all your money's gone on food and clothes or whatever, there simply is not any money. Gareth says, it's a great idea to cancel your direct debit in October, but I'd go one step further and have a mass withdrawal of your bank accounts for one day as well. Um, yeah. Why? Ray, I know, Ray says, I remember the whole situation with the poll tax and one of my friends was sent to prison for non-payment. He says it was absolutely the wrong approach not to pay. If you're struggling, people pay what you can and ask for dispensation or spreading of the payments, but you should pay something. Non-payment is stupid and rash, says Ray. Well, there you go. You told those people, Ray. Let me know your thoughts. Are you someone that would consider not paying? Uh, and if so, would you be worried? about the consequences. And just for the record, again, before I, I don't want to get in trouble, I'm not suggesting that you don't pay your bills. I'm simply exploring people's reactions to the cost of living crisis. And let's face it, it's going to get a whole lot worse. Hello there, welcome back to Jubes and Co. with me, Michelle Jubery, keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight. My panel, Daniel Moylan, who's the former advisor to Boris Johnson and now a Tory life peer in the House of Lords and the political commentator and former spin doctor, Joe Phillips. If you've just joined us, uh, you've missed the conversations that we've been having about the uh, Tory leadership debate uh, and also the conversations about energy, about whether or not people are going to be stopping paying their bills very soon. Uh, Jill says... Russia is laughing because we're suffering such high energy bills, so much for the West winning the war in Ukraine, so much for the sanctions. The war could have been avoided, and now the West is paying way more for this than Russia is. Uh, many of you guys getting in touch as well, saying do not stop paying your bills. Your credit rating will be affected, and things then will only get worse for you. Uh, Simon's emailed in saying all of these people that are desperate to work from home will soon change their mind and be desperate to go back to the office 
office when they start getting their energy bills coming in. Where do you stand on, on, on it all? Get in touch with me, gbviews at gbnews.uk, let me know. Uh, coming up next at 7 o'clock, Nigel Farage joins us. Nigel, good evening to you. What have you got? Good evening. Well, we'll be covering the Sun debate tonight, which has ended dramatically. We don't know what's happened, but some incident in the studio, possibly something happening to Kate McCann. We just don't know at the moment. But we'll be looking at the content of last night's BBC debate and asking ourselves, why was there nothing on illegal immigration? Why was there nothing on law and order? Are the media doing their job? We'll also be looking at the drought. Is this 1976 all over again. We'll be discussing homelessness, the cost of living. It's a full menu. Sounds good. And we'll see you at seven o'clock. Yeah, lots of you emailing in saying what's going on with a leadership debate. I don't know. I'm busy having the fun here at GB News. That's exactly where you should have been all this time. What have you been doing? Uh, right. Let's move on. Let's talk about the war in Ukraine, shall we? Uh, it's leading some European countries to rethink national service. On the continent, just eight of the 28 EU countries employ some kind of military service, but that is changing. Latvia is the first country to act, and in early July, its defence ministry announced that men aged between 18 and 27 will have to complete 11 months of military service. So, tonight, I'm asking you, do you think it's time for Britain to consider a return to some form of military service. I have to say, I've done this job a little while now and lots of times I've had people emailing in to various social issues saying, go back to national service, that'll sort them all out. Lord Moylan, where do you stand on it? Well, I think it's, um, the, the, you have to ask why people want to do it. And if it's because you need it for military purposes, because you need to bolster your armed forces through conscription, uh, then I'd look at the case, but I don't see any soldiers or generals or people demanding that. We can still fill our army on a professional basis, and it's a better army for it. So I don't think we need to do that in this country. That circumstances may change, um, and I don't think we should be doing it for social reasons. I think the idea that you should fill up the army with people who don't want to be in it uh, because it's going to be good for them. Is that good for our armed forces is the question. Is it good for our defences? Um, so I, I'm generally very sceptical about these calls for national service the whole time. Uh, let's just remember, we, the, the, the government, the state, takes control of the upbringing of children, what they learn during the, every day of, of the term, from the age of five, more or less, or earlier, through to the age of 18 now. And they decide what they're going to learn. If they haven't, at the end of that, learnt some of these things that national service is meant to do, about how to behave properly, how to go to work and things like that, how to have some discipline in the way they organise themselves, what, what have we been doing with them at school? Daniel, a lot of 40-year-olds don't know what they're doing and how to behave. <laughs> it is true, a lot of people of don't know it. what they're doing most of the time, but then the question is, you know, what do you get out of having another two years on top of the, you know, everyone is meant to be in uh, training, education or employment up to the age of 18 um, nowadays under this current role. You've got them up to the 18, now you're going to say it's going to be up to 19 or 20. You know, well, it come doesn't on. have to be two years. Or six months or a year, whatever it is. You're just adding more and more on. I'd, and, 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 and yet that's an admission of failure as to what so you that's might have a no from earlier. you. You it's don't want military it's no. uh, service. Joe? I think it's, a, it's, it's two questions here. Ukraine, when uh, Russia invaded Crimea in 2014, reintroduced conscription or, or introduced it for the first time. 
that's why they were so able to respond when Russia invaded this year. So I think there's a different thing there about having the, you know, the bodies, if you like, and the capability. But I think, you know, the idea of, um, I'm, not, I'm not thinking Dad's army, I'm not thinking of it ain't half hot mum, but that sort of, you know, every person just going into the army. The army doesn't want people who don't want to be there. And modern warfare is actually not necessarily about boots on the ground. It's about cyber security. It's about all sorts of other things. I mean, I would say that there are some fantastic career opportunities in all the armed services, you know, from medical to catering to driving to mechanical to engineering. And there are brilliant um, degree courses and apprenticeships that people can do. But I think there's another question, which I think Daniel touched on in a way, which is this idea that there should be some sort of post-school, civil conscription, compulsory thing. Gordon Brown, I seem to remember, came up with the idea of a national voluntary volunteer civil civic society scheme, which I don't think ever saw the light of day. It doesn't sound very catchy. No, well, I, I mean, obviously it went completely through me, but... Um, and I do think there is an element of... And I don't think you can expect schools to do absolutely everything. If you have got parents who are unable or unwilling, schools can't make up for parenting. And I do think... I couldn't agree more. Lots and lots of young people come out of school through nobody's fault, but they don't know how to behave in the real world. They don't know about turning yeah. up on time. But, Joe, how is another compulsory or even voluntary six months or a year designed by the Department well, it... for Education going to correct these things if it hasn't corrected them earlier but, but and it won't think... improve the parents? No, but so, I think... So that... you, it's, it's just extending, effectively, but, but the education may... system. But there may be a way of thinking about something a little bit more... Um, and, and are people going to have to do it if they go to university? Well, exactly. Is this going, to be, is this going to be your gap year, that you're going to have to do your gap year, whether you like it or not? Or if you're going not, to study medicine, doing... you're excused. Or whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I... I, I... I mean, I... Lots of you guys are in touch. This one seems to have really got you talking at uh, this topic today about should you have some form of national service? <laughs> Hamble's made me laugh, saying, do we really want... The armed forces, I'm half pondering whether or not I should read this out, but it made me chuckle. Do we really want the armed forces filled with a load of um, non-binary trans teenagers arguing with each other about their rights? How would that work at all? Harsh humble, I have to say, but it did make me chuckle a little bit there. Um, and I was also just thinking then, I've got a little boy, and if anyone tried to conscript him... You'd fight like a tiger. I wouldn't fight like a tiger. I'd tell him to identify as a girl and get himself out of there. You can do these things these days, Joe. That's you what can, I'm but it's going to be compulsory for boys. All these new schemes it's not all of it's are equally uh, applicable. The ones in Europe include men and women, so you wouldn't get out of it that way. Sandra says, this is a great idea, and I've been saying it for years. It would turn this country around. It would make people learn respect and turn them into real respectful people. But what would it consist of, though, Sandra? Is it? Are we talking here about a pure military situation? Well... I mean, would the army even want them? Would the army or the navy want to? Uh, and and, and, and the implication there is that they would learn respect because they'd be responsible to military officers. They'd have to respect yeah. their military officers, but they don't respect their teachers. Well, maybe they could learn respect if we actually had a better idea of respect for teachers in schools. You don't have to put people into the army to learn respect, do you? I know, but that's because what I would say to that is there's not much discipline 
in schools these days. Kids can run amok. I think that schools are quite... Um, well, it depends on the school, depends I think it's fair to say. And it depends on the teachers. Yeah. True. But um, the discipline, the army, I would imagine, does not... Not I've ever been in the army. I imagine it does not but lack you, you, discipline. You could do any number of things. You know, whether you were doing a Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme, whether you're in the scouts or the guides, whether you're... Um, you know, sailing, climbing, doing any sort of sport. There are lots of All of those things yeah. require a level of discipline and commitment and things like punctuality and um, all of those other things. So maybe we need to make those things more available because the only way that you make national service work is by making it absolutely compulsory, at which point people are going to go, why? And, yeah. you know, do you get... What's your excuse no, I'm going to go on to university. I'm going to, you know, be a doctor or a vet or something. Uh, I'm going on interrailing for a yeah. year. Uh, Barbara's been such an absolutely not to this conversation. We're not a dictatorship, Michelle. If I was exactly. a young person, I'd tell you all to sling exactly. your hook. Uh, Gareth says it would be hilarious to see the entitled Generation Z types doing national service. They literally would not know what had hit them. William says, let's do it, but make it voluntary. But I don't know if that but then kind there's of no undermines... Point. Yeah, if you're going to get people to well, choose if you want to do already. it or not. Yeah. Um, Michelle, you should bring... <laughs> you should... Some of my viewers are a bit harsh. Keith says, if you brought national service uh, in with the youngsters of today, the second a sergeant major shouted at them, they would cry and be seeking a safe space. Uh, Helen says, why would it just be men having national service? Aren't we supposed to be striving for equality? Um, well, John no, said it was men. No, I said that I would get my kid to identify oh, as a yeah. woman to get you're right. right. Yeah, I'm you're just not trendy that. enough. You're not. We're no, I'm not you haven't, I'm you not haven't kept up on that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not uh, <clears throat> trendy enough. I'm not cool enough. What can I say? David says, Michelle, as someone who works with people age 17 plus, this is a damn good idea. Make it two years long. Uh, David said, it won't work, Michelle. Let's face it, 85% wouldn't make the medical. Ooh, harsh. Uh, right, that is all I've got time for. Lots of you have really hit onto something there about this national service. Patrick says, Michelle, if people want to change the world, start by making your bed. There you go. Good advice. Get your bed made. We'll be uh, in uniform next time. Oh, 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 hello. That's a, that's a completely different show. Joe and David, I'll leave talks of uniforms for a different day. Have yourselves a good night, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Co, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time. <laughs>